0: Episode 271 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Self-Publishing School. Time is running out to get your free copy of Chandler Bolt's book published when you sign up for his free self-publishing training. Go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published to sign up right now.
1: Each one of us is meant to do something to make a difference in this world. And it's not until we really stretch ourselves and open ourselves wide up that we'll find that.
0: Hi there and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. You found the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm your host, Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. Now, the Read to Lead podcast is going to can I help you figure out what to pay attention to and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. It's hard to imagine today's guest being any more inspiring based on what she's accomplished. We'll sit down with Karen Brown author of the book, Unlimiting Your Beliefs, Seven Keys to Greater Success in Your Personal and Professional Life, told through my journey to the toughest race in the world. That race is the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. I'll ask Karen to share about what racing has taught her about leadership, the importance of not only hiring a coach, but recognizing when you've outgrown one, the success key that Karen calls, quote unquote, no discipline, and much, much more. One of the things that Karen and I will no doubt touch on is the importance of carving out time for things that are truly important to you, for the things that truly matter, what gets scheduled, in other words, gets done. And one of the things our sponsor is going to help you with is getting that book done, that thing that maybe you've started and stopped a number of times, maybe you've even given up on it, my hope is that Chandler Bolt and Self Publishing School can come alongside you and help you pick up where you left off and cross the finish line, as today's guest Karen Brown might say. The fact is, writing a book is hard, and writing a book that actually makes money and gets read by real people, people other than just your friends and family, can feel nearly impossible, but that's only if you don't have a proven system in place that you can follow. And that's what Self-Publishing School and Chandler's training is all about. He's offering training right now for a limited time for free. And you can sign up for that training at readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. And when you sign up for this free training, Chandler sends you a copy of his book published, also absolutely free. It normally sells for $14.99 on Amazon. It has over 500 five-star ratings and reviews but it's yours free just for signing up. You get that book, by the way, whether you show up for the training or not. But I highly encourage this training, especially if you feel like you have a book in you and it's been stuck inside you for far too long. Don't let that be the case for much longer. Again, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash published. Karen Brown, uh, who, by the way, is, is no relation to yours truly. She is here on her own merits. <laughs> is uh, CEO of Velocity Leadership Coaching, an executive leadership coaching firm specializing in elevating leadership performance and impact using behavioral neuroscience techniques. Uh, she realized her own performance potential and discovered scientific keys to greater personal and professional success by achieving a lifelong dream of competing in the Ironman World Championships. By the way, as a recreational athlete at 46, no less, uh, she's parlayed this model with 20 years of experience and study in senior leadership, business coaching, and professional mastery-level coaching certifications to help leaders elevate their performance and impact with greater velocity and ease. Karen is author of the book, Unlimiting Your Beliefs, right up my alley, Seven Keys to Greater Success in Your Personal and Professional Life. It's my delight to welcome her, Karen. Thank you for being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. Appreciate being here.
1: Honored to be here,
0: Jeff. Well, I want to start by asking you what you see as the the number one thing preventing many people, uh, sometimes yours truly, from experiencing even, even greater success.
1: The number one thing that I have researched and personally seen in over 20 years working with leaders and being a leader myself is limiting beliefs. And a limiting belief is defined as follows. When we think or say, I don't have enough money, time, talent, support, Mm -hmm. fill in the blank to achieve X and X is our big audacious goal or dream. (laughs)
0: Now, is, is someone who is, I think, a self-described, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think I've heard you say that you didn't necessarily consider yourself a super talented athlete. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I still don't.
0: <laughs> so, in part because of that, you found you were saying some things to yourself in relation to uh, some dreams, like running the Ironman. Uh, that, that, that's just something you, you could never do. How did you switch from saying, I can never do that, to saying... I'm going to do that. I mean, is it just a matter of flipping a switch and then eventually saying it enough that you believed it or, or is it something else?
1: It's something else. And this is exactly why I wrote the book, Mm. because it's the something else that I discovered uh, that took me more than 25 years to discover. Then once I discovered it and learned that it was a scientifically proven phenomenon, and therefore, I I also learned how to conquer it and transform Mm. it. Then that's when I got to the Iron Man two short years later and transformed my personal and professional life along the way. Uh, So the how behind it is how our unconscious mind works works. So if you go back to when we were cave people running around, uh, we, uh, our unconscious mind had to instantaneously judge and decide about something that was happening to us, whether it was friend, food, or foe, Mm. and get us to take immediate action so that we could survive another day. Now, the same pattern still works in our unconscious mind today, only we, I specifically, Uh, We don't realize that it's happening because it happens almost as fast as the speed of light. Mm. We just think that it's a fact uh, that we thought up and therefore is a reason that we can't do something, that we can't achieve something. That's exactly how the process goes. And when our unconscious mind is faced with something dangerous, different or new, which was the Ironman World Championships for me, It, its default is always, nope, we're not going to be able to do that, basically because of this, you know, just this sort of default setting in the operating system from when we were cavemen, mm. cave women. So what I came to understand in 2010 through actually taking a business class and doing a lot of reading, thus your show, <laughs> <laughs> is that, okay, it's, it's simply a behavioral pattern of the unconscious mind. And so if it got created, then it can be changed, Mm. right? Because I didn't have this limiting belief pattern happening in other parts of my life or other parts of my professional life. I mean, I was a successful executive and internal business coach at the time. And there were plenty of things, both personal and professional, that I was pursuing with no hesitation, had not held myself back Mm. from that. And it's because I knew without a doubt I could accomplish them. And I know right now bells and whistles and light bulbs are going on (laughs) above people's heads who are listening because it's the way we all operate. Except when I came to the Ironman World Championships. Mm. I did not know at all if I would be able to complete that race. I mean, I had seen this when I was 14 years old when Julie Moss ran the race. And for anyone who isn't familiar with her story, just Google Julie Moss Ironman World Championships and the, the footage will come up. I'm, I'm actually surprised we had video back then. Mm-hmm. It seems like the Stone Age now. But uh, what she went through uh, was the first time I had ever seen Ironman. And it, it was sort of like watching a train wreck. I, I didn't know what it was. I was horrified. And yet I couldn't tear myself away from it. I, I felt this emotional connection to it, didn't know why. I later understood that it was because I did have the inkling, maybe the intuition even, that I had what it took to do that. And that's, that's the other interesting thing about the unconscious mind. It's, it's a spectrum, if you will. Mm. And on one side is limiting beliefs. And on the opposite side is the ability to carry out anything we can think up,
0: Refresh my memory, was was Julie the one whose legs gave out just a few feet from the finish line and she ended up crawling across the finish line? Am I remembering that correctly?
1: That's exactly right. Mm. Yes. Along the way, she also lost control of her bowels. Oh, wow. And uh, just feet from the finish line, she was overtaken for the win of the women's race uh, by Kathleen McCartney, where she had been leading the entire day. Mm. Yeah, it was heart-wrenching.
0: Well, I have to believe that some of this begins pretty early for us. Some of these limiting beliefs, um, well-meaning adults, maybe coaches, uh, teachers, anything going on in your childhood that caused you to hold certain uh, limiting beliefs about yourself?
1: That's such an interesting question because uh, my answer is yes and no. Mm. Yes, in that I I certainly had people that said, you know, I mean I was athletic my entire life and gravitated towards activity and uh, physical activity and being athletic from a very early age. I mm-hmm. always enjoyed it. Uh but there were those who, you know, quickly said, especially when I started to pursue the Ironman, that I would never make it, mm-hmm. that I I would never be able to to stand on that stage to compete at that level. And I want to be really clear with listeners that That happens all the time, no matter where we are in life. And that's not our limiting beliefs getting in our way. That's other people placing their limiting beliefs on us. Mm. It's an important distinction to make because what they're saying has no effect on what we can or cannot achieve. So it's important to remember that. Um, I mean, we, we all have our own limiting beliefs and they get in the way enough, you know, without <laughs> other people putting theirs on us as well. Uh, and there, there's a, a few stories about that in my book, actually, because uh, one of the person, one of the people who put a lot of limiting beliefs on me at the time that I was going to pursue Ironman was my husband at the time. Mm. And that was a really difficult thing to deal with. And I think uh, a lot of people experience that, too. The other part of my answer that is no is because my mother said from the earliest age I can remember, Karen, you can achieve anything you want, absolutely anything. You are barred by nothing. This was the early 70s. And then my mom went on to raise my sister and I as a single mom for many years. Mm. Uh, You know, at a time in our society when that was almost an impossibility, right? Mm. I mean, you were basically relegated at that point in time to nursing, teaching or secretarial. Right. And you, you know, you there, there just were not the opportunities for women that were, that there were for men. And yet my mom often outperformed a lot of other people, mm. including a lot of men in higher positions than she was. And she, I just remember her being such a, an amazing example of what it was to be an independent woman and to be able to achieve anything uh, she wanted and anything I desired. And that's what I carried with me and still do today. And it, it made a huge difference when I started to conquer my limiting beliefs and then pursue and ultimately uh, cross the finish line at the Ironman. Mm.
0: In regard to other people projecting their limiting beliefs on you, is it safe to say, Karen, that you are very careful about who you spend your free time with?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? I didn't learn that Mm. until 45 or 46. You know, it it didn't come uh, blatantly clear to me until this Ironman process. I mean, as soon as I Verbalized to uh, you know the people close to me that I was going to do this. It it was astounding to me how very few people immediately, without question, said yes. I'm with you. Mm. I support you. Mm. What what can I do to help? All the rest were doubting Thomas's. Mm. You know they they came back with some sort of doubting uh, response or another. I found that highly fascinating to be fair i'm also a student of human behavior so i find all human behavior fascinating <laughs> right
0: right well, one of the parts of the book that I enjoyed relates to what you were just talking about, and it's this group of ladies primarily. I think there were some men here or there as, along the way as well, certainly, but primarily this group of women, uh, your sister, uh, a close friend of hers, I believe, a good friend of yours, that were those supporters that were, that were with you throughout the pro- process. How much of, of a difference did that make, having them there consistently from the very beginning, wholeheartedly believing in you till the very end, uh, literally being at the finish line?
1: They made all the difference. Yeah. We call them Team Sistas, (laughs) S-I-S-T-A-S. And there are photos uh, of us at the Ironman World Championships. They had bright orange shirts made with that saying on it. And actually, Mike O'Reilly, the voice of Ironman, he interviewed them because he saw the shirts and he wondered what the story was. Uh, Yeah, they made all the difference because when it was so challenging that I wanted to give up, each one of those women would stand me back up and they would give me the pep talk gosh i'm i'm getting choked up now um and they would say you're meant to do this Mm. you can do it i believe in you and you know what this is just a a short-term difficult thing that you're going through right now but you you do this next workout or you get through this day tomorrow is going to be better and the day after that is going to be even better. And this is how you get to cross the finish line at Ironman. Mm. Yeah, they they made all the difference. And they th- those people, you know, we need those people. And I call I call them border bullies uh, in the book <laughs> because we all need those people on our side, you know, to even borrow their belief in us when we're questioning.
0: You know, speaking of getting choked up, um, I have to admit. That As a former uh, broadcaster and announcer, I, I, I was particularly moved by you sharing the story of the, the Ironman announcer, taking time to, to get to know your friends, learning your story, and then hearing him talk about you on the loudspeaker brought me to tears. Just the, the the emotions that you must have been feeling, having watched this on television for so many years and hearing him, and then hearing him actually say your name and encouraging you as you started the race, and then... And then that 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 uh, I won't I won't steal the thunder unless unless you want to share it. that 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 thing he said at the end of the race, uh, again, repeating your name and 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 welcoming you to the finish line.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I won't give it away either. I don't want to be a spoiler uh, because it's in what I think is is truly the best chapter of the book. Mm. But I will say this. It, it caught me completely by surprise <laughs> as I was coming into the transition area from uh, the bike, which is one hundred and twelve miles after doing a 2.4 mile swim in the ocean. And I came in on the bike to transition about 5.30 in the evening. We had started at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm. And as I was coming in and then headed out, Mike Riley, sorry, I mispronounced his name earlier. Mike Riley actually communicated two very personal, individual messages to me. Uh, You know, something to the effect of, and here comes Karen Brown of Team Sisters from Denver, Colorado. I mean, things like that, mm. that I just was in, incredulous. And you're right. I had only, you know, seen and heard his voice on TV. And then for me to be in this iconic place that, that I had watched all of my heroes over 28 or 25 years race in one of the most beautiful places, I think, on the planet, and then to have my, uh, you know, the, the best friends a person could ever wish for there with me, who had walked every mile of the journey with me. And then, you know, to have that cherry on the top of all of that when Mike Riley, the voice of Iron Man, is talking to me personally. <laughs> oh mm. my gosh. It just, mm. uh, uh, speechless, absolutely mm. speechless.
0: Mm. Well, I know one of the keys that you talk about in the book is, and we've talked about people who supported you. We haven't talked about uh, one in particular, uh, your coach, and that being one of your uh, your seven keys. But part of that too, I think, uh, is is recognizing when you've outgrown a coach because you you switched coaches along the way. Did you not?
1: Yes, I did. Actually, I switched coaches a month before the Ironman. Wow. Yeah, it was scary. Yeah. And I i am glad you bring this up because it's a question that I'm never asked. Mm. And it's an important one because coaching relationships are really important uh, in in our professional lives, certainly, and also in our personal lives, because the two are linked together. They're inextricably linked. Right. Mm. And, you know, a coach really helps us change behavioral patterns and transform them from what was into you know where we want to go you can't, you know, get to elevated levels of success in your personal and or professional life until you change those behavioral patterns. Mm. Uh, you know, and just by using the same behavioral patterns you always have, you know, it's like Malcolm Gladwell's book, what got you here won't get you there. Mm-hmm. It's very, very true. So that's really what a coach helps you do. And, uh, my coach certainly had gotten me you know, a long way. I mean, I, I came into a completely new world to me. I had never run a marathon. I had never completed a triathlon of any distance. I had never ridden a road bike. And I was a horrible, horrible swimmer. And basically, I had to talk her into taking me on. I mean, I was a super no one, right? I mean, I had done the Boulder Boulder and uh, the Pikes Peak Ascent and a few other races like that. But you know, I had done nothing like the athletes that she coached. And she was number three in the world at age 50 mm. at the time I asked her to take me on. So she could have very easily said no and for good reasons. But she did take me on and, you know, she really educated me about everything. I mean, I, I didn't even know what I didn't know. Let's put it that way. And what I found, which was m- my reason for moving on, is you know, uh, I just got to a place where I would ask questions and she wouldn't really answer them anymore. And I thought, well, I, I don't really understand, you know, why why you're not answering my questions, especially about the biggest race in the world and my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it just didn't make any sense to me. Uh, and so, you know, it's through, through that uh, situation that I finally said, you know, uh, I I think we both need to move on. And she was already there, too. Mm. Uh, And you know what? It was a blessing because I was developing an injury that would have kept me from competing at Kona had I not gone to my next coach, who I had known, you know, for quite a while. He was an athlete. He was a former pro Ironman And uh, we actually came to know each other professionally. And then, you know, we would just for fun, you know, we would just get on the phone and talk about Ironman and triathlon and, you know, and he always had little tidbits for me, but he was also very respectful of my coaching relationship. I mean, he was a coach in his own right, but he was not pursuing me as a client, mm. and I, I always gave him props for that. I thought that that was uh, very big of him. And so when when this relationship with my former coach kind of cratered, I went to him and said, "Hey, I realize this is a little bit unorthodox, but would you coach me across the finish line mm. at Hawaii?" And it, it was one of those things where it, it was serendipitous. I mean, he was taking two athletes that he was coaching that year to Hawaii. Uh, He doesn't go every year, but that year he was going. I really wanted my coach to be there, and my previous coach was not going to be there. And it just all came together perfectly. And by the way, he uh, very uh, accurately diagnosed uh, a little pain that I was having, sent me to the person uh, who I go through in the book, or I introduce in the book. His name is Bob Cranny, and he wrote the intro to the book. He is, I'm pretty sure he's an angel walking the earth, first of all, but he's also the most talented physical therapist I've ever Mm. gone to. And I think he's also really a therapist because you come out of his (laughs) office just feeling fantastic. And every other athlete, including a lot of the pros, have said the same thing about him. And he can fix whatever's wrong with you. So thank goodness, you know, for all of those things happening, you know, I firmly believe everything happens for a reason. And Mm you know, because of that change in my coaching relationship, then I did cross the finish line healthy, at the Ironman World Championships and uh, n- never never repeated that same pattern again. You
0: know, one of the things I appreciated about your story, too, was I know for many of your races, there would be really little things that would happen that would cause you to sort of have in your mind, at least little you know, moments of panic or, <laughs> you know, I lost my straw and I got to send somebody to Starbucks to get a straw, <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, and what I liked about the, the the Kona race in Hawaii was you seemed to just be able to enjoy yourself, not, not just run a race, but notice what was going on around you. And even <laughs> shouting out to people, you're complaining. <laughs> there, were, there were runners around you complaining. And you're like, what are you people? Like, do you realize where you are and what you're doing right now? I just loved that attitude that you carried throughout.
1: Yeah. And that that's a, a, an interesting story because as I was preparing to start the race that day, I was feeling... That, uh, you know, rush of adrenaline and going through a mental checklist and constantly looking at my watch and, you know, replaying, revisualizing the day that I wanted to have in my head. Mm. And all of a sudden it hit me that I had a choice on how I wanted to spend the day that I could either be a slave to the clock and miss out on the full experience of it or I could lean into all the training and all the preparation I had done, knowing that the outcome was already in the tank, really, (laughs) from all of the training, Mm -hmm. and that I could just forget about the clock and do what I had trained to do, and that would afford me the opportunity to feel the entire experience. Mm -hmm. And I'll always remember that moment because it was in the water in the bay, and I I had just come to that epiphany and it this huge sense of peace and love Mm. and connectedness came over me. And I thought that's the right decision. That's the right way to spend this day. And then directly to my right, I saw another icon and hero of mine just feet from me. And his name is Lou Hollander. And at that time, he had been to Kona 22 years in a row. Mm. And he didn't start training for Ironman Iron Man, or even running marathons until he was 56. Wow! And I mean, th- this, is, this is one of the best guys you'll ever meet. And there he is, feet from me after I've just made this decision. And it, it's something that he used to say all the time, you know, that he doesn't really pay attention to the clock. He goes mm. by feel. And I just looked over at him and I started to tear up. And I just thanked him for, you know, being such an example to me and so many other people and for letting me share the space with him right then. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was an incredible moment.
0: I didn't realize he started at 56. Yeah. It just took away my excuses. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started running at 50 about two and a half years ago. And I've got to be embarrassed <laughs> to even say this in your presence. I've got a few 5Ks under my belt, but we'll see where that goes <laughs> from here. <laughs> Well, uh, after the Ironman World Championships, Karen went on uh, to run 18 of the world's toughest races over the next eight or so years. What what have these races, uh, all told, Karen, taught you about leadership, would you say?
1: Many, many things.
0: We don't have enough time for all of them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The biggest one is all of these tough races have have taught me compassion. Mm. They've taught me compassion for myself and others because uh, I, I, in these races, uh, one of the things that I love most about them is that I have the opportunity to connect with people from all over the world, every walk of life, all different countries, all different languages, and we are all embarking on something so challenging and so difficult, and yet simultaneously so beautiful and such an expansive process. Mm that I believe I get to see people, you know, sort of in their raw state. And I know that's how I feel as I'm going through it. You know, the layers are peeled back really quickly and you see who people really are. And that immediately translated into my leadership work. Uh, especially with clients, uh, you know, and even even doing some, uh, some Buddhist research. Um, another great book is Fearless Heart. Mm. It's written by a man who was a Buddhist monk and then was chosen to be the translator for, for the Dalai Lama for many years. Mm. Wow, you talk about an eye-opener. <laughs> a lot of it is about compassion. And he talks about when we're comparing ourselves to other people, which is another attribute of the unconscious mind, mm-hmm. Right. And in in a lot of other scenarios and teachings and shows and everything else, uh, other teachers uh, have said, stop yourself from judging other people. Well, that's like saying, go into the ocean and hold the tide back. (laughs) You're not going to be able to do it. What you can do, though, is look at it differently when your unconscious mind does it because it, it's another attribute, and it, it is something that is hardwired into our unconscious mind. It, mm. it, it has to judge things and size things up for us. It's a judging mechanism. That's another reason it was created. But what the author talks about is when when we're looking at someone else and we're, we're comparing ourselves to them, we're judging them basically, mm. to whatever the thought that's coming through our head is, to attach to the end of it just like me. Mm. And I found that profound and transformative because every time I would look at someone in a race and look at what they were doing or not doing or whatever, you know, comparing, judging. And then when I attached the just like me, (laughs) it immediately broke down the wall that I had just created between us and then created a bridge between us where, Mm -hmm. you know, I would feel connected to them. And same thing in leadership. You know, that's what I see in leadership so often is, you know, especially high achievers, which are the people listening to your show right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I'm one of them. You know, we think our way is best. Our idea is the best. That's why we're in the seat that we're in. However, it, it's not completely true. And when we then, you know, through that lens, judge other people's, other teammates' actions or words. And ultimately, we're going to determine that they're less than, right? They're less than great, they're less than ours, whatever. When we say just like me, and we realize that they're going after the same thing we are, Mm. which is love, acceptance, success, right? In whatever ways we define those individually, that's what we're all going after, just like each other. So that's what the 18 Mm. toughest races have brought me.
0: And I find we tend to judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions, don't we?
1: Absolutely right.
0: Well, I've got a couple of questions for you, Karen, uh, not directly related to the book. Before that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that we walk away with?
1: Two quick things. Uh, Number one is tap into the big, hairy, maybe scary, ridiculous dream that you have. Mm. We all have them. I have yet to meet a person who, uh, you know, when I ask them that question, doesn't have one. Mm. That's the thing we all do. And that is all of our gateway into what we're meant to be you know, the mission that we're meant to serve, the purpose that we're meant to fulfill and, and all of the great things. I mean, because uh, I'm I'm a true example of being nothing special, nothing remarkable, but w- in that way, I'm extraordinary like each one of us. And, you know, each one of us is meant to do something to make a difference in this world. And it, it's not until we really stretch ourselves and open ourselves wide up that we'll find that. And our, our big, scary, audacious dream You know, that's why I say in the book, tap into the dream. That's the doorway to it. Also, no discipline. Uh, That's that's a chapter in the book and it is a play on words. And it's so important right now and so true because our society is so distracted. We are distracted Mm -hmm. and fragmented and scattered so terribly that uh, honestly, that's the first thing we work with with a new client because they always say, well, I just, I have a tough schedule. I don't have enough time. I never will have enough time. And that's not true because all of us have the same 24 hours in a day, but we can all point to other people who get a lot more done than we do. They have the same 24 hours. They're not manufacturing more time. So the difference is having the discipline to say no to the things that are going to get us off track, which are basically all distractions. They basically all start with that device that we look at a hundred and some times a day. So it's really getting back into touch with those things. And it's not you know, it's not this notion of willpower. And if I was just more disciplined, I could force myself to do it. No, (laughs) if that were the case, you would have already. No, it's about being able to say no to all the things that are going to get you off track from what you really want to accomplish, what's going to bring happiness and fulfillment and purpose uh, and, and be able to fulfill your mission. Yeah. Otherwise, all this other stuff is just a distraction from those things.
0: I often get asked by folks who say, "How do you find time to read so much?" And I tell them, "You could do that as much as I do." I've just decided that it's important enough that I'm going to carve out time for it and actually schedule that uh, in in my calendar because I've I've decided it's something important enough for me to do. If if you want to read more and you're willing to do that, well, then you can read more. <laughs> it's that simple. Absolutely
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And in fact, uh, you know, when I was pursuing Ironman, you know, I went from working out five, six hours a week to having to make room in my schedule for 22 to 24 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And I was also in the CEO's seat at the time. So, uh, you know, I, something had to change. So there were a bunch of things that I had to identify really quickly that I had to say no to mm-hmm. so that I could actually do the workout, do what it took, you know, to put my time in to get to the Ironman. And I mean, that's... That's 24 hours that doesn't even include things like physical therapy and chiropractic and massage and nutrition and equipment maintenance. So you're right. And we all all of us have the choice of how we spend our time. So do we let it just default into all these distractions or do we actually manage our time Mm -hmm. so that we get what we want?
0: Well, Karen, I want you to think about the books you've read over the last few years that have had the biggest impact on you and, and share how or why they've impacted you as they have.
1: Oh, goodness. There's a lot. Okay. So the pared down list. <laughs> uh, okay. So I, I mentioned it a moment ago, uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There mm. by Malcolm Gladwell. That was a huge one, a big, big eye opener and just more validation, you know, of what I had seen, experienced, researched, studied, learned, uh, you know, that that science really proves and it was just there, you know, all in writing and from a a slightly different perspective, you know, from the executive leadership perspective, uh, but just really brought it all together. Uh, also, before that, a highly transformative and poignant book is Personal Power by Gary Zukav. Hmm. I had never heard of him. And actually, a CEO that I knew at the time in uh, an annual meeting uh, with like 5,000 attendees, he shared that book title and I immediately grabbed it. I'd never heard of it, never knew anything about it. And it, it really set me back that first of all someone in that kind of position talking to that many people would kind of go out on the limb and share a book like that because it's mm. it's some spirituality it's you know personal power it's also resolving childhood trauma to a large extent and i thought wow you know how how truly naked and vulnerable mm that guy was, to share that book. And I I will forever be grateful to him because I I feel like in some ways that book really started, uh, I guess, ignited the rest of my self-explorative journey. Very meaningful. Also, one of my favorite leadership books that I've read in the last two years is called Self-Deception in Leadership. Mm. It's by the Arbinger Institute, Phenomenal book. Again, a book that puts into words and illustrations what happens in the boardroom, in the senior leadership room, you know, all these assumptions that we make about what people's intentions are, right? You brought that up (laughs) a minute ago, Mm. that are always wrong. (laughs) They're always wrong because we make assumptions based on our map of the world. And that's created through our filters, our experiences, our definitions of things, right? But honestly, no two people are the same. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's how all of that assumptions, all of that goes wrong, terribly wrong. And uh, in my estimation, really causes a lot of the dysfunction that exists in companies today. I mean, I see it all oh. over the place. And I, and I also think, really, really? It's 2019. And we have this level of dysfunction. Oh, my gosh. Can't we go further?
0: Well, I don't normally do this, but a book I'll add to that list because I think it it dovetails nicely with yours. It's one I finished recently, originally published in 1986, but um, Mm -hmm. republished in an updated version 2017 called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Shad Helmstetter. Yes. Uh, Have you have you read or come across that one?
1: I have. And you're right. Uh, you know, there's so many great books that sometimes you just lose track of until somebody brings them back to your consciousness, like you just did. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I want to ask as a successful speaker, as someone who's doing more of that now than, than you ever have, I think, what, what are some tips you would have, Karen, for delivering a, a talk that's memorable and, and also impactful to your audience?
1: Mm, that's a great question. And what I've learned, and and I'll just say this I'm hard headed. Uh, I'm less so than I used to be, but it takes me a while, right? I mean, I I oftentimes translate that into I'm a slow learner. (laughs) But Brian Tracy finally hammered this through my head when I studied with him. And it's two things. Number one, less is more. To be a truly effective, great speaker, you spend most of your time paring down the words and the slides and the information because, you know, to leave room for pauses and empty space, processing space for the audience member, that is key. Mm. And, you know, so it's not about all the things that you can put into a speech. It's the things that you can pull out of it and still be left with the core that really delivers the message resoundingly. And the second thing is within that, you got to touch people's emotion. And it's usually through story. You know, when I share a story and it's deep and meaningful and emotional and everyone in the room can relate to it, that is what makes it memorable and relatable to people. And then they get it. Otherwise, you're just talking at them or over them or near them, and it's just not going to land. Mm.
0: Well, I'll end with this, uh, Karen. Uh, what is going on currently or maybe around the corner for you and your team that uh, that has you excited?
1: I am so excited that we are pursuing our mission uh, mm. with Velocity Leadership Consulting, which is the name of my company. Uh, which is to elevate leadership, performance, and impact with greater velocity and ease, mm. and uh, th- this is this is very similar to my huge mission with the book, which is to eradicate limiting beliefs and transform the world because here 's the thing: none of us have to struggle any longer with limiting beliefs right it 's all in the book i 'm not the first person to write about this, nor will I be the last. And it's all backed in science. So none of us need to struggle any longer with limiting beliefs and think about how our world and our lives will be transformed when we don't struggle with them anymore. And same thing with our mission with leadership, specifically senior leadership. I mean, I still see a lot of, shall we say, blind leaders, you know, who are not self-aware or even self-aware leaders who can be so much better than they are. Mm. And I think that's our real opportunity because leadership casts the biggest shadow in our communities. I mean, if you look at it this way, leadership impacts everyone at work, you know, our team members, our peers. Uh, their families, their friends i mean who who do we share our work experiences with when we go home at night, our friends and our loved ones, mm. and therefore it 's the community, so when we can elevate ourselves in that space, everyone is impacted so thats that 's why i 'm thrilled about the mission that we are on to, to really transform the world.
0: Well, the book again is called Unlimiting Your Beliefs: Seven Keys to Greater Success in Your Personal and Professional Life Told Through My Journey to the Toughest Race in the World. And her name is Karen Brown. Karen, thank you so much for giving of your time and sharing your expertise and your experiences. I've enjoyed reading the book and hearing about them, especially straight from you.
1: Thank you, Jeff Brown. What an honor to be on your show.
0: You'll find a video that Karen has created going into detail about a particular neuro technique to help clear limiting decisions at VelocityLeadershipConsulting.com slash greater. That's VelocityLeadershipConsulting.com slash greater. A link to that uh, page is also in the show notes for this episode where you'll find all of the links and resources we talked about. That easy to remember URL is simply read to lead slash two seven one for episode two seventy-one. For just a little while longer, be sure and take advantage of free training from Self Publishing School by going to read to com slash published. And when you sign up for the free training, get a free copy of Chandler Bolt's book published. Again, read to lead slash published. For questions, comments, feedback, anything else you want to share with me in regard to Read to Lead, just shoot me an email, jeff at podcast.com I'd love to hear from you. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.